This audio is brought to you by Business Radio, powered by Wharton. You're listening to Mastering Innovation on Business Radio, powered by the Wharton School, Sirius XM 111. Hello and welcome back. I'm Nikolai Zikolko, co-director of the Mac Institute and professor of management here at Wharton. And this is Mastering Innovation on Sirius XM's business radio powered by the Wharton School. Now I'm thrilled to introduce my next guest, Steve Goldbach. Uh, Steve is a principal at Deloitte Consulting and he serves as Deloitte's chief strategy officer. Now he's also the co-author of a new book called Detonate, Why and How Corporations Must Blow Up Best Practices and Bring a Beginner's Mind to Survive. Steve, thank you so much for joining me today. Thanks, Nikolai. Nice to be here. Now, Steve, before we talk about the book, uh, please maybe give us a little bit about your background. So what has been your trajectory that led you up to your current position at Deloitte? Yeah, the, my trajectory has been uh, what I would describe as uh, serendipitous over the years. <laughs> so I, I, I grew up in uh, Toronto and I, I went to school at, uh, uh, at a Canadian university called Queen's University and started my career in consulting with uh, the Monitor Group, and then uh, I was probably the least successful business school applicant uh, uh, that I know. Uh, I applied to lots of great, uh, lots of great institutions that deemed uh, that, that uh, they didn't want me to attend, and that actually led me to an important choice, which was do I continue in, uh, do I continue in consulting for a little while or do I try something else? And so I decided to try something else, and I ended up uh, being the head of strategy at Forbes Magazine Group, mm. which moved which moved me to New York, which was uh, a ton of fun, and learned uh, and learned a lot about uh, getting things getting things done in organizations, and and frankly teaching myself how to learn a new industry as I didn't have any media experience, mm-hmm. and then uh, ended up ended up going back to uh, going back to school after all after Forbes. And returned to the world of consulting uh, back with Monitor, and uh, did a, a lot of work over the years in the consumer product space, as a, uh, partially as a result of as a result of my experience in media, as that space was going through a transformation of how they thought about uh, engaging with consumers, and, mm-hmm. and uh, we were lucky enough to help w- one of the larger consumer products company in the world uh, help them transform their the way they think about innovating the way they think about uh, marketing mm-hmm. and then Deloitte acquired monitor uh, a number of a number of years later and uh, and uh, I got to know a few a few folks at uh, in the consumer products practice there and got situated well and then was asked to become Deloitte's chief strategy officer and so a lot of serendipity uh, serendipity over there just taking advantage of taking advantage of opportunities that were as they were presented if you had asked me, you know, three and a half years ago, before I got, uh, I, I took this position, mm-hmm, mm-hmm. it probably wouldn't have been even one of those things that I would uh, would have been looking for. Yeah. But it's really important to take advantage of things as they as they get presented to you. Absolutely. Now, the chief strategy officer of a consulting firm that must be an interesting job. <laughs> so tell us a little bit more about that. Yeah. And so my my role spans all of all of Deloitte's businesses in the U.S. Which include our which include our consulting business and uh, and also our audit tax mm-hmm. and risk and financial and risk and financial advisory business. Okay. So I think about my I think about my job as helping us make helping us make better choices to help our clients win in their in their business. Mm-hmm. 
and 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 just connected to the topic of to, to the topic of the day that you know i think about strategy and innovation as the flip side of the same coin and and they're both about solving you know customers or clients or consumers needs and doing them using the latest and greatest uh, either technologies or processes systems in order to do that in the most efficient manner and and then taking economic advantage of them and that's what i've I've tried to do, and 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 I, I sensed in your question that uh, that you thought there might be something particularly interesting about being a CSO <laughs> of a professional services firm. Do you care to elaborate? Well, you know, consulting to consultants, right? Uh, <laughs> it's the doctor has to take their own medicine. Uh, that could be. I could imagine this having been some fascinating conversations about trying to uh, talk to strategy consultants about how they should actually structure their organization to have a better strategy. Yeah, and and look, I would say, I would say, I, I have been fortunate to be mentored by some of the more well-known strategists in the world, like people like Roger, people like Roger Martin, and I, and and I, uh, I sort of pride myself on saying that I am proud to feed uh, to feed us our own our our own medicine, uh-huh. <laughs> um, uh, because I I believe I believe in what we. Do for our clients, and we do the same thing. Uh, we do the same thing, and at the end of the day, it just comes back to, uh, I think, the role uh, a role of a chief strategy officer is just to help the executive team make better and clearer choices uh, about what they're going to do. And I think it's just it's 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 that role. And, and yep. yes, obviously, people who know a thing or two about strategy make for uh, tough clients. But if you just focus on you know what it's going to take to make those choices, then I think mm-hmm. you can you can do well. No, absolutely. Now, uh, one more question before we get to the book, because a lot of my former and current students are, of course, involved in consulting. Um, so, how has the field of consulting changed, or is it changing? What 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 are kind of the big developments there? Yeah, I think I, I think there are a number of uh, a number of we could have a whole a whole conversation about uh, trends in the business. I, I think the the most important one that I'd highlight is. Uh, the infusion of, of technology into what has, for most of its existence, been a a human, uh, a very human to human business, and I think, I think that the the industry is going to go through a material transformation over the over the next uh, over the next while, as we're we will need to start to institute uh, leveraging. Uh, many different technologies, whether it's whether it's cognitive or artificial intelligence um, or other aspects of, of data and analytics that allow our people to be more productive. But I do I do think that all of the all of this technology will still be a support mechanism to helping an executive make a decision. And mm-hmm. for that, I do I do think that you will you will still need that trusted advisor work alongside of it but if there was any advice to you know uh, your former students it would be that they need to be not just you know not just really smart about strategy but technologically savvy so that they understand the tools available in order to make best use of them yeah uh, make best use of them great so uh coming to the book i mean one of the key points you make in the book is that you know companies fully follow many rules or practices which they think are sort of best practices but really are not that valuable or not that valuable anymore, right? So can you maybe first give us a little bit of the background of what experiences led you to write this book? Yeah, I, I think, I think it, 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 you know, my, my co-author Jeff and I had the following observation, and it was all of our clients 
all of our all of the executives we speak to, uh, you know, this something that's pervasive within the business leadership um, within business leadership today is this focus on disruption. Mm-hmm. And and it's a concern about it. Everybody everybody is discussing it, and we see relatively few organizations have a really proactive um, stance towards stance towards disruption. Like we're going to disrupt ourselves, or they or they might say things like that. But the the moves that are made are relatively uh, are relatively minor. And what, we were wondering why that why that was, and what we what we. Uh, what we saw was the motivation, the motivations at the individual human level. Um, so why people felt like they were getting reward, what would make them successful in their organization, was to make the safe call on marginal bets, i.e., use best practices, right? But as we as we know, if 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 the world is changing really quickly, and the context around when those you know supposed best practices were developed is now different then they're unlikely to be the right ones for the future. But the company cultures and their, their, own, ince- their own incentive systems haven't caught up to the future world, and it's not really safe for individuals to make those choices. And so what ends up happening is they make that, they follow those best practices, and then they don't, invariably don't work because the context is different. And then they put more pressure and more burden of proof in order to prove the next iteration of that because something went wrong before, and they go back to the things that have worked and that are tried and true, and invariably they don't work. And companies get into this vicious cycle. Mm-hmm. And so what, we're, what we want to, what we talk about in the book is, you know, the processes that we, the, the processes that we think are the most pervasive that need to be rethought. And then how do you break that vicious cycle? What are the things that you can do um, as an organization? Uh, in order to, you know, break that downward spiral, which tends to lead to, uh, you know, not so happy outcomes. Yeah, yeah. Of course, there's always a trade-off. Of course, we need some rules and principles, right, in in organizations. We cannot invent the wheel every day. Uh, At the same time, as you absolutely point out, right, there are lots of rules that maybe used to be good, but just don't work anymore, right? But but who has sort of the guts to kind of question them and change them? Yeah, and certainly we, we, you know, we, we aren't, we aren't suggesting in the least that there's, you know, no benefit to rules or uh, or processes. In fact, there are many. Um, think about safety uh, within industrial uh, industrial organizations or on an oil rig. Uh, there are lots and lots of good uh, reasons for safety, you know, legal procedures, and we would absolutely uh, absolutely think about things in, in that bucket. What we what we think is happening, though, is a lot of the time those that people are adhering to processes, they're doing so almost uh, unconsciously or even mindlessly. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. They're not saying why. Why is it that we put that process in place to start off with? What was the thing? What was the thing we were trying to accomplish? And is that still relevant? So what we're what the underlying principle that we're going through with all the different things in the book is to say, what's the why of why you're following mm-hmm. that and mm-hmm. if if the answer is invariably if the answer is invariably that it's well this is just the way it's done <laughs> right. in our industry right. or the way it's always been done that's a, a classic that's a classic tell of when you need to start to say like okay maybe we should try something different uh because there might be a better there might be a better way i mean Nic- nicolai one classic example that we just we know we know differently is the way we the way that lots of organizations uh collect 
collect uh, customer insights. Mm-hmm. So, you know, classically, organizations have leverage tools like surveys or focus groups. And with all the learning that's been developed in the world of cognitive psychology around biases and behavioral economics and understanding how people respond to yep. respond to those kind of stimulus, we know that you can ask someone what they think about what they want, but if it's something really new, they can't really tell you unless you put them to a choice in the real world. Right. And so oftentimes those tools are those tools really fail. And so we're just saying let's not use let's not use poor uh, you know, tools now that we've learned that there's something else. So let's discard those and use better tools like observation techniques or mm-hmm. actually amalgamating behavioral data, yeah. um, which is much more likely to be successful. Yeah. Uh, in case you're just tuning in, you're listening to Mastering Innovation on Business Radio, powered by the Wharton School. I'm Nikolai Zikolko, and my guest is Steve Goldberg, a principal at Deloitte Consulting, and we're talking about his book, Detonate. Um, so just started out saying kind of going through some of the best practices that you discuss in the book and one is I think very interesting because every company is trying to become more customer centric right and you're saying well just going to customers and asking them may not be the best way to go about this Uh, another of these best practices and maybe the most favorite one in all organizations is financial forecasting and budgeting right (laughs) Um, uh, so what what are some of the uh, you know supposedly best practices that you would uh, ask people to rethink well, I'm not. I'm not sure I'd ever label this particular one as best, but it's pervasive. <laughs> um, pervasive. It's, yes. this, this this one is pervasive, which is almost every company that. Uh, so we did we did we did do some we did do some research to to try to understand the pervasiveness of of this of the behaviors that we talk about in the book, and this one is almost uh, almost ubiquitous. Um, and so the way companies tend to do financial forecasting is they do some uh, extrapolation of the of the past. So they say, we've been growing at, you know, call it 5% a year, and the market is growing at, you know, 5% a year. And if we continue to get our fair share of the market, or, or more likely when they're doing a budget, we're mm-hmm. going to increase our market, we're going to increase our market share. Um, you know, our revenue for the next few years will be, um, will be this. And then they say, and we've committed to the street that our profits will be Y. Um, uh, we've committed to the street that our profits will be Y. So therefore, this is how much we can afford to spend. Mm-hmm. Right? And that's sort of the, the, the logic that companies go through when doing financial forecasting. And Nikolai, the problem with that is that the world literally works in the opposite way. Right? So you spend money to create, you know, to change uh, people's behavior or to keep them doing the same thing, to remind them to do it in order for you to get revenue. Mm-hmm. And, the, and the, the, the thing that's the problem is not necessarily just the forecast that you end up with, but it's the mindset that somehow we have an inalienable right to revenue in <laughs> yep. the future. Right. Right. Like, mm-hmm. like it's just we, because we exist, we will continue to get revenue. And and I, I believe in being very uh customer consumer client centric but that means continuing to try to delight them mm-hmm. and to try to and to try to figure out what they haven't what we haven't served them well and to do that sometimes you need to spend some money um, that doesn't necessarily fit the pattern of how you spent it uh, how you spent it in the past and so I would rather that um, or as we as we talk about it in the book I would rather that organizations 
think first about what behavior they want to cause in the marketplace and their customers and how much time and through what activity they could successfully cause that behavior and then what would the revenue result be mm-hmm. and then what would the profit result be if they if they successfully did that and use that as the economic hypothesis um, and that also has the benefit of look you're you're in control of your costs you're not as 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 uh, in control of the outcome so if you're constantly testing about how you can you know change behavior then that's a far better way to be uh, thinking about forecasting. Yeah, interesting. Now, linked to that is, of course, also the kind of the topic of uh, strategic planning, uh, a topic I'm very interested in, having actually co-written an uh, article with Roger Martin on that topic and uh, Jan Rifkin and A.G. Laffley. So what what are some of your thoughts on this? And I I, I like particular kind of the question around the calendar, uh, because that's sort of a pathology that's, I think, very common. Uh, Please elaborate. Yeah. Roger Roger has been an important influence on my life, and so you won't be surprised at the at the at the answer. Yeah. Um, which is the re- the reason I want to blow up the calendar is because um, as 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 you and Roger uh, talked about in that particular HBR article with AG and Jan, you know the 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 your strategy is good until something that needs to be true about your strategy is no longer true, mm-hmm, mm-hmm. and there's no you know, like like we say in the book, you know, strategy isn't deli meat, right? It doesn't. You can't predetermine how long it's going to be good for. So, in lots of in lots of organizations, including our own, the thing I want to get rid of is, you know, we will have strategy 2025 or strategy 2020 or whatever, as if as if we can sit here today in a fast changing world and know for sure that this what we're deciding today will be good for the next few years because mm-hmm. what that creates is this reticence to we just finished this really important strategy uh thinking and we've made the following choices and we're not willing to re-explore them until the end of that you know that particular chapter and it's kind of like well competition can kind of cause you to need to rethink things pretty quickly so you better be willing to do so but it also means that you may not have to revisit choices that have been made previously if they're still the right choices mm-hmm. and so yeah. what 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 we would say is just look, figure out, figure out what you know, what behavior you need to change in your in your uh, customers and in your people as you're driving a change program, because oftentimes that takes that takes time, and then have a sense of how long that might take based on the the kind of change you're trying to drive, but don't go in with a mindset that. Your plan. You've got a predetermined planning horizon. There's lots yeah. of factors that there's lots of factors that that should influence that. Right. Now, part of kind of the research you did for your book was a fairly big survey, right? Sort of of 300 companies. Uh, what were some of the biggest surprises that you got from that survey? Well, it's just I, I think some of the the the, the uh, what we were looking to do was uh, validate our hypotheses about these processes. So mm-hmm. What we what mm-hmm. we wanted what we wanted. Um, what we wanted to learn was we saw Jeff and I these behaviors these behaviors in our in our you know in our 20 years of of serving of serving executives we saw that these were existing we wanted to just make sure that in writing a writing a uh, a book about blowing up best practices mm-hmm. that these practices were as pervasive mm-hmm. yeah. as they as they were and and so we i think when it came to the quantitative aspect what we did was we asked uh, people who worked, in, you know, who are senior people in Russell 3000 uh, companies, to 
just report whether or not their companies did this. We didn't ask them to explain it. Uh, we didn't ask them to explain it or, or not. And so in some respects, we weren't very surprised mm-hmm. at, the, at, the, at the outcomes that all the, all the practices that we talk about in the book were, you know, were performed by a vast majority of the, uh, of the companies that were, were surveyed. What was, um, I think, surprising was when we did, um, when we were just talking, we, we, we did some research uh, where we were just talking to people either on social media or just about the practices that, that they don't like. And the, the, the degree of uh, venom around some of these, some of the practices <laughs> mm-hmm. uh, that, they, that they would blow up, whether it's the ideation process, um, about how, you know, in the spirit of being collaborative, everybody has to get a say and, and then you brainstorm, you, you, then you brainstorm everything. And if someone puts an idea on the board, now we've got to take all the time and the resources to, to validate that idea, even if it's, you know, not from someone who doesn't really have uh, a basis for it. And so there was a lot of, uh, what we were surprised by was the degree of uh, uh, acrimoniousness around yeah. some of these best practices. So people see it. Uh-huh. It, they're, they're sometimes paralyzed about doing something about it. Yeah, yeah. No, and I, I think you know a, a wonderful set of uh, observations in your book around Six Sigma, or whether it is uh, celebrating failure, or thinking about right, my firm has to be uh, the solution for the rest of my life because I have a position in the org chart. Right. So lots of interesting things in that book. Unfortunately, that's all that we have time for today. Uh, Steve, thank you so much for joining us on the show. Thank you, Nicola. It was a pleasure to be here. Wonderful. Well, Take care. thank you, Steve. Thank you all so much for joining us. Uh, It was a fun hour we had. Um, If you have a question about something that you've heard on today's show, uh, of course, you can email us at businessradio at SiriusXM.com. Please be sure to follow our show on Twitter at BizRadio111. And, of course, you can follow the Mac Institute at our own Twitter handle at Mac Institute. Um, Once again, a special thank you to our guests today, uh, Charity Hardwick of Soundcast and Steve Goldback from Deloitte. I'd also like to thank our producer, Dana Cash, as well as our sound engineer, Danielle Bruno. Until next time, I'm Nikolai Zickelko, co-director of the Mac Institute, and this is Mastering Innovation on Business Radio, powered by the Wharton School on Sirius XM 111. For more guest interviews, check out our Wharton Business Radio Highlights podcast on iTunes and Google Play.